And this morning, as we're going to be taking a look at what is called and what you're likely familiar with is wisdom literature. And these are words that were penned not specifically to provide ironclad promises in every single word that was said, but they were given with the hope that the recipients and the readers would glean great practical wisdom. And it's in Proverbs today that there are major themes discussed, such as knowledge, morality, folly, foolishness, lust, happiness, and, of course, wisdom will be discussed at great length. And this morning we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, looking at a message that I have entitled, To Be Wise or Unwise? That is the question. If you would turn there uh, with me now, if you have your Bible, and uh, as you're turning there, it just seemed so fitting that this would be the passage we would look at this morning. Uh, The reason is because over the past few years, this concept of wisdom, it's become harder and harder to define in our society. One of the numerous definitions that I wanted to share with you this morning uh, is presented to us by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Their definition of wisdom is as follows. Good sense, accumulated philosophical or scientific learning, or a generally accepted belief. Simply put, the culture dictates the definition of wisdom. And if we're a Christian, this should be really greatly troubling to our souls when we hear those words, because where the culture go, the definition of wisdom seems to follow. And so by their definition of wisdom, wisdom would be holding to evolution as absolute undisputed scientific fact. Wisdom would be championing the sexual revolution that we're in the middle of. That is what wisdom would be today. And wisdom today leaves no room at all For one true God who is holy, who is righteous and loving. But praise God that the culture's definition of wisdom is not ours. That is not the true definition of wisdom. In fact, if you were to go over a couple pages to Proverbs 9, it actually tells us what wisdom is. The fear of of the Lord in Proverbs 9:10 the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom wisdom is not the acceptance of and adherence to the demands of our current culture rather it is absolute reverence for and submission to the holy trinity and to the word of God that is the true beginning of wisdom And that is what we're going to see we're called to in our passage this morning. And as you're there, go ahead and read along with me as we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, where it says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? 
If you turn in my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, you have stretched, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord or wisdom. They would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure without fear and with ease, without dread of disaster. The pursuit of wisdom. This is Solomon's heart cry to his audience throughout the entirety of the book of Proverbs and especially in our passage this morning. And as this book of the Bible has just begun, we actually find ourselves in a situation where it seems like Solomon may be addressing his very impressionable son. He spent these beginning verses kind of working to set the stage for what is to come while also telling his son, listen to your father's words of wisdom and heed your mother's teachings. And now as their conversation has kind of taken this natural progression, we see that Solomon presents his son with truth as well as a very clear exhortation. And while I do believe these are very clear and very bold from Solomon to his son, uh, sometimes as we sit and listen to a sermon on a Sunday morning, it can be very difficult to think, how do I actually apply this to my life every single day? And so in this passage, we're going to see that the one who has not yet proclaimed Christ as their savior, they are called not to pursue the wisdom of this world, which we know is truly folly, but they are called instead to turn to true wisdom as it is actually portrayed to them in the word of God. And if you have already placed saving faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, you're actually called to something very similar. You're called to continue to embrace true wisdom, to walk in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. But perhaps today I would suggest in addition, as believers, we could learn from the urgency with which wisdom personified shares her message to this audience. Consider today whether you need to answer this call for the first time, or if you need to continue championing the true wisdom Not the wisdom of the world, but rather to live out true wisdom, proclaiming truth. In this passage, we're going to see Solomon personifies wisdom and presents us with three truths about the exhortation of wisdom. Directing our attention first to the call of wisdom. Second, the warning of wisdom. And third, the choice of wisdom. 
Uh, Let's read verses 20 through 23 again, just so it is fresh uh, in our minds. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. First, we see the call of wisdom. In these verses, this, the audience here is introduced again to wisdom personified as a woman. But this is no ordinary woman. This is a woman of boldness, a woman of great Great persistence. It says she's crying out in the street. She's crying out at the noisy street, at the city gates. And in the language of this text, as you look at it, it tells us that this crying, it was a bold summons. It was an exhortation, a shout for joy or a ringing cry. There she is, wisdom, crying out as loud as she can bear, proclaiming a message with great urgency that must be heard. It seems helpful here to think of a mother. Think of a mother right now who's sitting out in her front yard gardening with her dear child. They're enjoying the sun, the smells, uh, and they're just working. The mother's working in the garden and the child's nearby playing with their favorite ball. And the mother looks away for a moment as she's digging a hole for a new plant and she looks back to her child and they're gone. And as soon as she sees her child next, she sees her child is chasing their toy towards the busy street. Now, mothers right now, as you're kind of shaking in your chairs, thinking if that was your child, do you just sit and watch that play out? I hope not. I really hope not. No, like the response of a mother as she sees her child who may not know any better, they see their ball. They think it's right and good to seek after this, to go get it. But the mother knows her child's in grave danger. She's not going to stand there and watch this play out. The mother will scream. She's going to wave her hands, chase after her child, imploring them, come back to where it is safe. Don't continue on this way because I know what it brings for you. The urgency with which a mother rushes to the aid of her child. This is the urgency we need to be feeling in our passage this morning from wisdom personified. Turn from your ways. Turn to wisdom. That is her cry. And Solomon goes on to emphasize this cry as well as the gravity of the audience's Response, how important the audience's response is. And Solomon does this by giving us three examples of responses to wisdom's cry. And each of them he seems to be giving us with building severity to solidify the point he's making. It says to the ones who are simple. These are literally ones who are naive. They're foolish. The ones who might be easily enticed to sin. And we actually see that in chapter 1, verse 10, where Solomon pleads with his own son, saying, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. The simple is the one whose mind is open to absolutely anything. They have fickle convictions 
and they absolutely lack deep thought. In the beginning of verse 22, it actually says, how long, simple ones, will you love being simple? The question is very clear. How long will you remain this way? How long will you be satisfied living with a lack of wisdom and a lack of judgment? To a certain extent, the ones who are simple are, are like those warned against in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, which says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of his Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now pay close attention here. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. But here in Proverbs, it seems to be a little bit different it seems the issue here is not just that they are simple. It's not just that the simple don't know any better, but the issue here is that the ones who are simple would certainly ascribe to the old adage of ignorance is what? Bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Not only are they okay knowing that they are simple, not only are they content with this, but more accurately, they love being this way. They love living a simple life, an arrogant life, one oblivious to true wisdom. They love the sin in which they dwell so much that they cover their ears and they ignore the resounding voice of wisdom and the call that she has set before them. Wisdom raises the question to the simple, how long will you be content to live this way? And to the scoffers or the scorners, the ones who speak out arrogantly, the ones who mock wisdom. It says in the middle of verse 22, how long scoffers will you delight in your scoffing? The scoffers here compared to the simple are even farther gone. Their response is not only ignorant, their response is now malicious to the truth that has been shared with them. The question is asked again, how long will you be content to mock, says wisdom? How long will you simply delight in scoffing? Now the fools, the one who is literally a stupid fellow, the one who's a dullard or an arrogant one, that's the way it reads. In the end of verse 22, it says that they hate knowledge. The fool is the one who has absolutely no spiritual desire whatsoever to know the truth or to seek after the wisdom of the Lord. They simply hate. They simply despise true knowledge and wisdom. And the question is begged once more, how long will you hate knowledge? How long will you be content to live as you do? Wisdom is saying here, turn from your ways, I beg you, and turn to me. 
That is the call of wisdom. And in verse 23, it says, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom calls for these parties, these three classes, these rebels, to repent, to heed the correction of wisdom, and to realize the error of their ways, and to turn. For if they turn, then they will know true wisdom, for wisdom will reveal herself to them. And so I ask, are you one? who needs to turn from the world and to turn to true wisdom? Or do you recognize one of the people described in your own life? Consider how you, as a believer, could lovingly point them toward true wisdom, but doing so using the same urgency as wisdom personified here in this passage. Now, in the familiar comedy by William Shakespeare, As You Like It, there's a, a well-known line in there that says, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Or perhaps better stated for our passage this morning, It could be the simple, the scoffer, and the fool. They all think that they are wise. But the man who is truly wise is the one who knows that to pursue his own desires would be unwise. I say again, true wisdom, it belongs and begins with the fear of the Lord. The simple, the scoffer, and the fool, each of them thinks that they have wisdom, but it's clear that they do not. And the question is, do you have enough sense to know that you're truly a fool if you continue on in your own way, if you continue on in that direction away from true wisdom? All are called to turn to wisdom. And we actually see that that. Solomon's exhortation of wisdom continues now in verses 24 through 31, where it says, Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm And your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Second, this morning we see the warning of wisdom. As Solomon continues writing about wisdom personified, we see that the simple, the scoffer, and the fool, they have all heard the same message and they've all heard it crystal clear. But it's also made clear that they 
have not responded to true wisdom. They have not turned and repented. In fact, wisdom tells us in verses 24 and 25, she has reached out her hand. She's given counsel. She's provided reproof. And all of it has either been rejected or fallen on deaf ears. Wisdom, she's been absolutely rejected and it comes at a price. And the price is shown to us very clearly in verse 31. It tells us they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. You will be given over to your own sinful ways completely, to the ways that bring nothing but death, destruction, and judgment if you continue on down that path. And that will come to you from the Lord. If you refuse to turn to wisdom, when calamity comes, you will be laughed at. When terror strikes, you will be mocked. What is happening is that wisdom will watch as what is good and true and right. When that judgment comes and defeats that which is unwise, that which is wrong and that which is malicious, wisdom will sit there and watch that judgment come to pass. When terror strikes and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come, the calling of the one who has refused to turn to wisdom will not be answered. In this passage, if you haven't already seen it, you can start to sense kind of the urgency that Solomon is sharing this very message. The urgency with which he calls for an answer. If you've refused wisdom... Your call will not be answered. You will seek, but you will not find wisdom. There will be consequences. There will absolutely be righteous judgment for the rejection of true wisdom. And all of this because you hated knowledge, because you may have chosen your own way like a fool instead of choosing the fear of the Lord, instead of choosing what we know to be True wisdom. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded uh, of many years ago when I was back in middle school. Uh, There was a band that was increasingly popular at the time, uh, a band called The Script. Uh, They started a lot when I was younger, and then uh, they had a lot of success, and they came out with an album in 2014 with a song on it, a song titled, It's Not Right For You. Now, this song, when you listen to it right off the bat, it has a happy tune, and it's meant to be inspirational. But if you do an analysis of what the lyrics are actually saying, the message can become somewhat dangerous. Over and over again, the song proclaims, if you even have to think about what you're doing, if you seem unhappy at all, well, it it must just not be right for you. You have one life to live, so make sure you're always doing what makes you the happiest. Pursue that happiness. Now, I don't want to make it sound like there's anything wrong with pursuing what you're passionate about, but, but what we have to hold in tension here is that what you are pursuing is something that is honoring and glorifying to the Lord and that you are working in such a manner. But in our society today, judgment's not a word that is easily heard or accepted. 
It's something that is kind of taboo to even talk about this idea of judgment. We live in a world that proclaims if it feels right to you, then it must be. And so this song, not so subtly but rather forcefully, actually pushes the agenda of our current culture. Again, saying if it feels right to you, then it must be. A world where everyone is free to live out what they are now calling their own truth. A world where there are no absolutes, except, well, there's one that everybody gets to go to heaven, or a heaven, you know, except those pesky murderers and the people who weren't technically good people overall. Those are the distinctions that our culture makes. But is that the truth? I think if we are truly understanding this passage, that's not the message that we receive. Rather, we understand that what our world holds to right now is a fantasy. It is absolute folly. And this passage actually presents us with the truth. The truth is not that you can go on living your life however you want to with no consequences. Rather, the truth is this. That the rejection of wisdom will indeed bring about the judgment of the Lord. There is only one result for the love of foolishness. And that result is death and destruction. This is the warning of wisdom. But, praise God, this isn't the end. There is hope that Solomon gets to in our closing verses of 32 and 33 here, which say, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of Disaster. In these verses, we see the final exhortation of wisdom this morning, which is the choice of wisdom. As this chapter comes to a close, we see there are two possible outcomes for responding to the call of wisdom. They're labeled very, very clearly for us. First, the outcome if you refuse to turn to wisdom. If you refuse to turn from your ways and turn to wisdom, you will face judgment. You will face destruction. The author tells us that the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Those who refuse to turn to true wisdom, those who don't heed her call, they hear her, but it falls on deaf ears. The ones who have become unquestioningly comfortable and their life of sin, they will face destruction, condemnation, and eternal damnation. But, he inserts that but in there, telling us, second, the one who heeds the call of wisdom, the one who does not turn a deaf ear to her, but rather turns from their own ways, they're going to have a, an experience that is vastly different than that of the simple. It says that they will dwell secure. They will be at ease without dread of disaster. 
When they cry out, they will be answered. When they seek wisdom, they will find her. But first, it's very clear in this passage that a choice must be made. Now, follow the train of thought here with me, if you will, because we're getting to the point in the passage where we're finally at the climax. This is what we've been building to the whole time. And whether or not Solomon is speaking directly to his son isn't clear here, but it it makes sense. It reads like such a conversation where the father has outlined what this truth is, and he's calling now for a response. Possibly talking to his impressionable son, he says, here it is. You have a choice that's been set before you. It's not a choice I can make. It's not a choice that your mother can make your friend, your family. It's not a choice any of them can make for you, but it is a choice you have to make. You could be like one of these three kinds of people. You could be like the simple one. You could be like the scoffer. You could be like the fool. You could choose to be any of these things. You could reject wisdom altogether. That is your choice. But if you do, then surely you will be given over to those sinful ways. And when trials come and calamity pounds against you like a storm, true wisdom is not going to be there for you to just fall back on. You will be given over to your sinful ways. And so, what's the choice? What what are you going to do? Will you choose to reject true wisdom, facing death, destruction, and damnation, or... Will you turn from sin, from your sin-focused, your sin-saturated life to true wisdom? True wisdom where you will dwell secure, being held fast by your Lord and Savior, resting with ease without dread of disaster, knowing you will spend eternity with your Father in heaven. That's the choice. Solomon says, what's it going to be? Those are your options. Now think back with me. Many of you will be able to, except some of the teenagers here, uh, to the year 1999. Okay? A new movie came out that, for its time, um, it was very revolutionary. It was influential. I'm not going to say it was a good movie, but it was very influential at the time, called The Matrix. And there is, in this movie perhaps one of the more iconic scenes in cinema history. There's a scene that takes place in this dark, damp room that has a little bit of a green hue to it where there's two characters sitting there. The characters of Morpheus and Neo. And they sit face to face with one another, sitting in overly stuffed red leather chairs. And they sit and they're clearly in an intense conversation. And Morpheus presents Neo with a choice. He says, The red pill or the blue pill? A choice must be made. He gives him these two choices here, the red pill or the blue pill. One of those choices leads to the opening of his eyes. It leads to truth. Though it may not always be the easiest, it will show him the truth. Or perhaps the second choice, the one that leads to a fairy tale, the one that leads to allowing him 
to continue on in his own way. A path that leads only to confusion and ultimately to death. There is no third option here in this interaction between the two. Neo is not given an option where, okay, I can just sit in this room and ponder things for eternity. I can kind of like dip my foot in each of these, see which fits me best, and then proceed forward with what I feel is right for me. That isn't an option. It is the red pill or the blue pill, one or the other. The choice has to be made. And we, too, need to make that choice. To be wise or unwise, that is the question. Will you ignore the words of wisdom? Will you seek after what seems right in your own mind? Will you seek after what's convenient but ultimately leads to death? Or will you seek true wisdom? Which is submitting to the Holy Trinity, to the word of God. And if you are already a follower of Christ and you have submitted to this true wisdom and you are living it out in your everyday life, then the question you should probably be asking yourself is, how can I implore those that are around me to heed wisdom's call and to turn and submit to her? Perhaps you can do this by your own acting by the actions in your life, by living wisely, but also, as we've seen wisdom personified doing this passage, by boldly proclaiming these urgent truths. Without editing, without softening it, will you proclaim that truth, begging those to realize what true wisdom is and calling them to turn to it? And so this morning, as Solomon personifies wisdom in this, in this passage, we're presented with three truths we have to acknowledge. First is the call of wisdom, that the simple, the scoffer, and the fool, all of them are called to turn. All of them are called to repent, for if they do, they will be blessed with true wisdom. Second, is the warning of wisdom. Those who reject true wisdom will be given over to their own sinful ways and they will eat the fruit of their own ways. And third is the choice of wisdom. Whether you turn to wisdom or not, you're going to be held accountable for your response. If you refuse to turn from life lived on your own terms, And what you think is truly wisdom, it will only lead to judgment. But if you turn from your old ways and pursue true wisdom, this passage says you will remain secure. Brothers and sisters, wisdom stands here before us this morning in this passage. She is crying out to us right now, to turn from a life lived on our own, to turn from sin, to turn from ignorance, and to turn to wisdom. She stands here before us this morning, waving her arms, screaming to us, trying to get our, under, our attention, because she understands something. 
that this right here is a matter of life and death. Do we realize that? Do we understand that? Each day, we're pressured. We're pressured to live life in submission to worldly wisdom. We're pressured to not only live in acceptance of the sin that surrounds us, but we're also pressured to champion that as what is good and right and true. We're called to champion the idea that whatever makes you happy in this moment, that's the way you should go. So what will we do? Are we going to champion this life of sin? Are we going to proclaim that whatever makes you happy for the moment is the way you should go? No, we can't do that. I implore you, do not do that. This cannot be the case. We must first turn from a life of ignorance, turn from a life of sin. This life that is in direct opposition to true wisdom, we need to turn wholeheartedly and pursue true wisdom. No longer submitting to false wisdom that can be found in the world, but wholeheartedly submitting to true wisdom, which is found in the word. And if we've already done this, if we have submitted to true wisdom and it drives the way we live our lives and it informs every single decision that we make, then perhaps we also must be looking at the urgency with which wisdom personified proclaims this very message. Do we keep silent about this message? Do we proclaim it at all? Are we like the fool who has become complacent in their situation? Do we sit there throughout the week and think, well, I know the truth. I'll leave it to Thomas and Bruce to preach that on Sunday morning. Do we refuse to share that truth because we worry about how others will respond, how others will react? Or do we share it? Do we share that message that we are called to share? There it is. That's it. That's the choice that's set before us. Plain and simple. And this morning, I'll leave you with a couple questions. The questions are, what will your response be to wisdom's exhortation? And will you be wise or unwise? That is the question.